Welcome to Lifelines, the radio program of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. I'm your host, Maria Gallagher, Legislative Director of the Federation. With me today is Bonnie Finnerty, Education Director of the Federation. Welcome, Bonnie. Thank you, Maria. It's so good to be with you this morning. So good to have you with us. You recently took part in a mini town hall tour for the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Why are these town halls so important? Well, our town halls are an excellent opportunity to provide um, what I would say is the latest pro-life information and perspectives to people. And it's a very fast-moving format. It's very informative. Uh, It's great to gather with people face-to-face as a community, especially at this time when we've been distant from others and relying on virtual connection. Um, And at our town halls, we do follow all the CDC protocols so that the attendees would feel safe, and that was the case at the two we held earlier this year. Um, But I think people are really hungry for information right now, and that draws them to the town halls. And it's also a great opportunity for them to ask us questions. So there's lots of back-and-forth exchange. um, And we hear some incredible stories and testimonies from people, sometimes before the town hall starts, so there's lots of conversation afterwards. So overall, it's, it's just a very uplifting experience for everybody, and I think it helps everyone in the pro-life community to realize, like, wow, there are a lot of pro-life people out there just like me. That's so wonderful. What were some of the topics discussed on the tour? Well, this time we had five uh, talks, and the first one we did was Life in the Pandemic, where we discussed um, abortion centers and also nursing homes in light of the um, pandemic that we're all immersed in. Uh, Second was Life at the Capitol, um, where we provided updates as to what is happening here in Harrisburg with regard to life issues. Uh, And then we presented Life in the Culture, which focused on four different groups of people who've emerged as strong voices for life. Um, Our fourth talk was Life on the Line and gave several different scenarios based on the outcome of the upcoming election. And then finally, we presented Life Without Roe, uh, which gave background on the Roe versus Wade case and the possibility of it being overturned one day and what that would mean for us then as a society. Now, can you take one of those topics and break it down a little bit for me and, and tell me a little bit more about what you had to say? Sure. Well, let's, let's go with life in the pandemic because that's, that's so relevant right now, and I think a lot of people are making sacrifices um, because they respect other people and they want to make sure they're safe. And so we're doing everything we can um, to change our lifestyle uh, so that we could save lives. And that's, of course, from COVID-19. Um, But I think that there's a real hypocrisy, and a lot of people are beginning to realize this, because while we were making these sacrifices, and still are to some extent, um, abortion centers remained open in Pennsylvania. And they remained open just for abortion at some point, so they were 100% abortion. Um, And there was a period of months where those abortion clinics were not even being um, inspected, which goes against state law. Uh, And the other thing we discussed under the pandemic uh, was that nursing homes um, prior to this were not um, 
Well, they weren't functioning as well as they could have been. Um, Our governor, Governor Wolf, had been alerted twice in the past four years that the nursing homes were not properly staffed, that the inspectors were not properly trained, um, that there just was not enough people there to take care of the residents. And yet, into this already stressed system, we um, ordered recovering COVID-19 patients. Um, And as we know, two-thirds of the deaths in Pennsylvania have come from those those nursing homes. So um, that talk provided kind of a glimpse into how the pandemic has really um, uh, affected life mm. in Pennsylvania. Yeah, it's, it's really incredible when you stop and think about it. And with the inspections of the abortion facilities being suspended, it was very dangerous because we were in such a... Uh, a a terribly um, critical time within our state because of the pandemic. And to think that hair and nail salons had greater scrutiny than abortion facilities during that period, it's just very alarming, especially in light of what happened with Kermit Gosnell, who was that infamous abortionist who was ultimately convicted of murdering three newborn babies and causing the death of a female patient, Karnamaya Mangar. Absolutely. It is, it, it, it's, it's terrible to think that these women aren't being protected um, and that state law is being violated. If people miss the town halls, can they watch the presentations online? Yes, we are so excited that we were able to record our town halls and to um, put them on our website and we could share them virtually with everyone. So no matter where you are, you can watch these very same talks that we just discussed. Um, they are on our website, which is www.paprolife.org, and we encourage everyone to watch them. They, In total, they're less than an hour, but they can be broken up into segments, and there's just lots of really good critical information that we want all pro-lifers to have. October also marked our Celebrate Life Banquet, which followed all the safety protocols for COVID-19. Our keynote speaker was radio talk show host Ken Matthews. Tell our listeners about his speech. Oh, my. He was fantastic. Uh, He's very witty um, and clever, and he has just a real talent at looking at um, society and kind of, you know, offering commentary on things that he thinks just aren't right. Um, But I think the, the part that had us all on the edge of our seat was the personal story that he shared um, for the first time publicly. And he detailed how he and his wife desired to start a family, but they um, faced difficulty due to his wife's autoimmune disease. Um, So uh, they did finally get pregnant, but they lost that first child three weeks into the pregnancy, and then they lost another child um, at eight weeks. Um, So they, they really understood, you know, the sanctity of life and were yearning to have a child. Um, and finally, after two years, they became pregnant for a third time, and things seemed to be going really well until the 25th week when um, they were told that their, their little girl had no heartbeat. Um, and so Ken talked very emotionally about that time and, and the grief process. Um, he and his wife were later able to have two sons. In between, they lost another child at 12 weeks. Um, So he really has uh, a heart for life, and he said that, you know, life is a gift, 
it's the most valuable thing we have on the planet, um, and we need to protect that. His speech was just so moving, um, and it is also available on our website, and I would recommend that everyone um, go and watch it because I think you're going to hear something that is really going to move your heart. Why do you think some people are saying that the banquet was our best ever? Well, I mean, in addition to an outstanding keynote uh, speaker and uh, an absolutely beautiful outdoor venue and it was perfect weather, I think people felt strengthened and uplifted in their pro-life convictions. Um, And I think at this time that is so important. Uh, The pro-life movement is growing in number and it's gaining momentum because we have truth and life on our side. And I, I think the banquet was a beautiful affirmation of that. I think it was, too. And, and it was my favorite banquet ever. There was something about being outside and being amongst people in a safe environment that was truly uplifting and inspiring. And uh, if you go on our website and if you view Ken Matthews' speech, you can get just a taste of the excitement that we experienced that night. So I highly recommend doing that. It's also time to promote next year's Student Pro-Life Essay Contest. What do students need to do to enter? Well, I think the first thing would be to go to our website, which gives specific details. Again, that's paprolife.org, and you would go under the Education tab and then click on Students. But in short, uh, what we're doing is we're inviting students in grades 7 to 12 to write a pro-life essay on some aspect of abortion, infanticide, euthanasia, or stem cell research. And then they submit it to us with a cover page, and that cover page is also available at our, on our website. Um, the deadline is not until March 5th, so students have lots of time, um, but it really doesn't hurt to get started early because it does take time to kind of determine your topic and do some research or background reading. And I, I would just like to say that this is a great opportunity to not only learn more, but to find your own voice in defending the most vulnerable. Um, it, it's just such an instructive um, exercise for students. And we do award cash prizes and also a chance for publication. So it's, it's really a win-win and a great way to build a culture of life. And what's it like judging those student entries? I'm sure that it's a fascinating process. Oh, it is. It's, it's, I love it so much. As a former English teacher um, you know, who's graded lots and lots of papers, I love to have these essays come in and to read them and to hear what students' perspectives are on a variety of life issues. Um, they're so articulate. Some of them, um, you know, are more persuasive. Some of them are more informative. Um, But it really is so encouraging to me to see the time and the effort that the students put into this uh, contest and to know that they are going to be our voices of of life for tomorrow. They're going to be our leaders, our pro-life leaders. So it's great training ground for that. Marvelous. And how can students enter our pro-life oratory contest? Well, the information for that is in the same place on our website under education, under students. And um, in that case, and for the oratory, students would write a five- to seven-minute pro-life speech, again, on abortion, infanticide, euthanasia, or stem cell research. And they would record themselves giving that speech um, and submit it to us by the end of April. The deadline this year is April 30th which, you know, it might seem like a long way off, but it's always good to start exploring topics and resources early. 
um, with that contest, um, and just, by the way, the students submit those um, speeches to us digitally. They could just email them to us, and uh, the, the panel of judges would, would then be able to look at them and judge them. Um, we will select winners, and there are cash prizes, but our top winner for the oratory contest gets to go to the National Right to Life Conference, where they will have an opportunity to compete against other state winners. So it's, again, just an, another amazing opportunity to develop your voice in defending those who are most vulnerable. And I would invite everyone, if you've never gone to a National Right to Life convention, please schedule it on your calendar for next year. It's a marvelous event. Unfortunately, they couldn't hold it this past year because of COVID, but we're very hopeful that it will be back on the schedule next year. And it's a phenomenal resource and a wonderful way to learn more about pro-life and to network with other pro-life people who share your profound beliefs in the right to life. You're listening to Lifelines, the radio program of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation, recorded by JMJ Radio. I'm your host, Maria Gallagher. We are speaking today with Bonnie Finnerty, Education Director of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Bonnie, you wrote a very moving blog post recently about Judge Amy Coney Barrett. Talk to us about what her nomination to the U.S. Supreme Court meant to you. Well, I, I was I was surprised by my own behavior. I watched her um, speech when when she was first nominated, and I found myself in tears. Uh, and I was far more emotional than I, I thought I would be. Um, and, and you know, I reflected on that a little bit. I I the more I learned about her and heard her speak, I felt like this was a person I could really relate to in terms of balancing family and career. Mm-hmm. Uh, she didn't buy the false narrative that women have to choose between one or the other. Um, And she was very honest at times that it was difficult, that she struggled with that balance as well, and that she was honest that she had to lean on her husband for help. Uh, And I could really relate to that personally. She she and her family are such a beautiful model of love and life, uh, self-giving, service, faith, uh, truly a great role model for young women and and for couples. And I, I feel like we need that so much right now in our culture. Um, she really is the new face of feminism that gives hope to to young girls and to women who are you know striving to balance career and family. And I think you know knowing that she expressed pro life views in her personal life prior to becoming a federal judge meant a great deal to me as well. And she has vowed to not rule based on her personal views. But I find it very encouraging that her judicial philosophy holds that the Constitution must be interpreted as written. So she's not going to legislate from the bench, which has been an issue in the past. So I feel her appointment to the Supreme Court is going to restore integrity in that branch as it was originally meant to be. I know it gave me goosebumps to see her sworn in to the U.S. Supreme Court by Justice Clarence Thomas. It was just such a profound moment. And I think that she is in the mold of Justice Antonin Scalia, and she will rule according to the Constitution and not according to some pro-abortion agenda that somebody dreamed up. And I think that she's the justice we've been waiting for. I I think we might have been waiting for her for decades. Exactly. And, And for her to finally appear on the scene, and 
she's just such an incredible role model for young women. I mean, somebody who is a mother of seven children, two of them adopted from Haiti, um, who is just profoundly successful in her professional life. I mean, she's, she's just the, the person that I would aspire to be. And I think that a lot of women uh, find comfort and inspiration in her. I so agree. I, I so agree. Well said. You've also started a very intriguing social media campaign. What was the catalyst for My Unexpected Pregnancy Is? I was reflecting on how powerful fear is when a young woman realizes that she's unexpectedly pregnant. You know, she's, she's fearful about telling people or about how her life will change or fearful that she can't support the baby. And often decisions are made to alleviate that fear. And abortion is a decision that is irreversible and, and short-sighted. So I, I wanted to help people see beyond that fear, to see the possibilities of the beautiful life that they can bring into the world, a life that perhaps they will parent or perhaps a life that they will place for adoption with another couple. But it's a real life that already exists. So I wanted to show up pictures of women who are able to get beyond that moment of fear and are so glad they did. And, and I myself was one of them. Um, we now have a 33-year-old daughter who has brought untold joy into our lives, and she in turn is a mother herself. And I cannot imagine my life without her. So if we could help people see a glimpse into the future of what might be, perhaps fear wouldn't be the controlling factor in their decision. So what we're doing is we're inviting women or men or couples to take pictures with the child who was once their unexpected pregnancy and to post it so others can have hope and encouragement and a, a strong witness to life to everyone, um, but most especially to the young mothers and fathers who might be considering abortion. And I think this social media campaign is absolutely brilliant. I think, I think that it's divinely inspired. And uh, if you were in that position where you had an unexpected pregnancy, please consider sharing a picture online because that can be the catalyst for somebody else to choose life and to avoid that terrible tragedy and trauma of abortion. Tell us about another program you started, Lit for Life, and why that is so important. Well, I mean, we've had legalized abortion for 47 years, and out of that time has arisen so many compelling stories that need to be told. And so there's quite a lot of pro-life literature, especially now. I think we see more and more coming out. Um, there's stories of conversion. There's stories of survival. There's stories that reveal the lies of abortion and euthanasia. Um, stories that offer us hope um, or encourage or give powerful witness to life. So there's just so many great stories out there, and, and I, I feel that we need to read these and share them and discuss them because that's what we need to do to build a culture of life. We need to keep it in the conversation. And knowledge, you know, is power. We, we have to be ready to answer those who challenge a pro-life position. Um, and these stories, these books that we're reading, they speak to our heart. And ultimately, that's how we're going to transform, transform the culture. So we, do, we recommend a book. Live for Life recommends a book every season. Um, and we encourage chapters or church ministries or pro-life clubs or book clubs 
to read them, um, to get together, whether it be virtually or in person, to discuss these and to just really build that culture of life by sharing these books. And give me an example of one of the books. Well, um, we have done, I think we're on our sixth book now. Um, The last book we did was You Carried Me by Melissa Oden, and she is an abortion survivor. And it was such a powerful book because as she was starting her own family, um, she was also discovering the facts that led her mother to abort her. Um, so it's a very interesting book in the way it's told, and it's, it's rather emotional, but it's, it's true, and it needs to be told that abortion survivors are real. There are people out there who have survived an abortion. Every one of them has a story. So I found that very, very compelling. Um, the one we're reading now for fall is Life is Winning, Inside the Fight for Unborn Children and Their Mothers, um, and that is written by Marjorie Dannenfelser from the Susan B. Anthony list. Now, I'm only a few pages into that. I've heard rave reviews for it, so I'm, I'm really excited to continue reading it. The introduction is by Mike Pence, our vice president. And the book, from what I understand, is going to kind of detail the history of the pro-life movement and show the momentum that we have and that one day we will be making abortion unthinkable. You addressed homeschooled students in the Scranton area. What was that experience like? It was awesome. I'm a former (laughs) homeschool mom, and I was born and raised in Scranton, so I was so excited to return there and talk to this group of young people. Um, We had about 30 of them and about 10 parents and er, instructors in a large room. Everybody was socially distanced. Uh, We talked about embryology and how science itself answers the question of when human life begins. And we played a game that I I developed. um, It's called Two Truths and a Lie. And I see if they can pick out the, the false statement, which is, excuse me, not always easy because there is a really strong abortion narrative out there, especially in the media. So sometimes, you know, things get challenged and it's hard to pick out the truth, but then we discuss which one is false, which one is true, and why. Um, and it's really illuminating, I think, for everybody. Um, and the students there were so attentive and so engaged, and they asked great follow-up questions. And I was so pleased because in the weeks afterwards, um, I was sent a video that some of the students had made. They had been inspired to do a little more research on abortion, and um, they came up with a short video of why abortion is never a good option, why life is always the right option, and they sent it to me. So I, I was just so impressed by them and encouraged that, again, this is the next generation of pro-life leaders. What is your favorite part of being education director for the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation? I, I think it has to be people and interacting with them. I love meeting people. I love talking with them. I love the town halls. I love going into classrooms um, because it's a real opportunity to engage and to share information um, and to give witness to life. Uh, we also do educational displays at um, conferences and at events, and I, I love the interaction we have at the table. Um, you know, I know not everybody is at the same point, so I love meeting people where they're at and starting a conversation and kind of guiding them toward the truth about the sanctity of life or empowering them so that they could have a greater voice in defending life. Is there anything that has surprised you about working in the pro-life movement? I knew that there was 
media bias prior to my coming into this job, but I, I think that that has been perhaps the most surprising um, element because I do monitor a lot of different news sources and um, news events that happen throughout the day, and to see how they are reported differently or not reported by certain news outlets or um, just kind of information is left out, it, it's really alarming to me, um, and I think that that's especially true with life issues. I think that there's a lot that is not given to the general public um, because certain news outlets it might not fit their agenda. And that's really concerning to me. That's that's really been highlighted to me And once I um, came into this position. I, I think the other surprising thing is that um, I'm surprised at how easily people will equate life issues as being just one issue among others, when in reality it, it is, you know, a priority issue because without life, None of the other issues matter. So if, if we don't have, if we don't honor the, the founding fathers who even said that we have a right to life, that that's a, a right we're endowed by our creator with that cannot be taken away by government, um, if we don't honor that, then what other rights really matter? We'll never be able to exercise them. I know just as today I saw a political cartoon which really struck me which showed a political candidate talking about um, there are people missing at our tables. And then on the other side of the candidate, it showed a high chair, and it mm-hmm. said 60 million plus mm-hmm. for the 60 million plus unborn babies who have died because of abortion. And, that, and that's, that's really what it's all about. And I find in my conversations with people they really don't know the extent of abortion in our country. They don't know the statistics. Mm-hmm. They're, they're unaware of this information because it is not broadcast right. on cable media. So when we give this information, it's often fresh news to them, mm-hmm. and that's why it's so very important and why your position is so very important. Mm-hmm. Do you find your background as a teacher is helpful in your position as education director? Oh, absolutely. I... I got lots of experience writing and presenting as a teacher, and and sometimes that audience was a little challenging, too. Mm -hmm. (laughs) High school students can be that way. So it kind of prepared me to, you know, always be on my toes and to be ready to give an answer. Um, And I had to be creative as a teacher. So I I also try to bring that creativity um, to this position and think about, well, how else can I say this or how else can we present this? Um, And so I just really feel like my experience has... um, not just a teacher, but also as a woman who became a mom as a teenager. And then, you know, now a mother of five and a a grandmother of four. Um, I feel all of that has really been great preparation for the work I'm doing now. We have just about a minute left. If people have additional questions, how can they contact you? Well, I would encourage them to give me a call at our office. I would love to chat with you. My number is 717-541-541. 0034, or you can email me at lifelines at paprolife.org. That's tremendous. And, and Bonnie, you've been such an inspiration to me personally and professionally, and I thank you so much for answering the call to join the pro-life movement because we are so richly blessed by having you. You've been listening to Lifelines, the radio program of the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. 
I'm your host, Maria Gallagher. Thanks for joining us. Remember, there's always a reason to choose life, and we look forward to talking with you in the future. Thank you so very much. God bless you all.